Are you ready to make the right moves and unlock your passion? Welcome to From the Inside Out with your host, Carla D. Walker. To be your best self in your personal life and your business life, all you need to do is look within yourself. Now, here is Carla D. Walker. Good morning, world. How are you? It's wonderful day today. We are already in the month of February, the second month in 2020. Boy, I tell you, January seemed to go so fast for me. I I did not realize, or maybe I wasn't paying attention, how quickly we were moving. And now we're in month two. It's February, and it's we're having gorgeous weather. The groundhog has not seen his shadow, at least punctuatory Phil. I think I'm pronouncing his name right, hasn't seen his shadow, which is a good thing. Because I don't know about you, but I am ready to get some warmer weather going around here. And for Florida right now, we're a little cold. We're a little little chilly. Uh, So a little warmth would be appreciated. And I know we've got those snowbirds who've come down here and uh, who are comfortable uh, not wearing a jacket. But Floridians got jackets on. Some have gloves on. Some have scarves on. Uh, just because it's a little chilly. And when we say a little chilly, it's in the 60s. (laughs) I'm laughing at that because when I was in Wisconsin, I prayed for 60. (laughs) Because it was too cold for me. Now I'm getting, now I'm becoming acclimated to this great sunshine state and it's a little chilly here. But so be it. I'm here. I'm alive. It's a beautiful day. I'm awake. (laughs) And uh, to me, that's all that matters. That's all that matters right now. Hey, you know what I wish for you today? I wish that you have one of those days that become one of those memorable times that you have done something that you think was just ingenious. I don't care what a small thing it was. I don't care if no one else thought it was was ingenious, but you did something today that you think would make a difference, not only in your life, but maybe in somebody else's. I don't know about the world, but at least one other person's. That could be your spouse. That could be your significant other. doesn't matter, but you made a difference in somebody's world, and you're aware of it, and they appreciate it. And so I want you to feel that good about it today. I also want you to wish my wish for you again is, as I do every every Tuesday, is I wish you feel the kindness of others around you. I wish that uh, you are able to give kindness and love and appreciation to those that you know today uh, while they're still with you. And if you think about it and think about the, I think people are still thinking about the loss, at least I know I am, and we're talking about the loss of of, um, Kobe Bryant and his daughter and the other families that were on that uh, helicopter that crashed. You know, life is short. And short could be 100 years. Short could be one year, one second. You know, take advantage of the time that you have today and let someone know how you feel about them. You know, don't do it in their eulogy because they can't hear you. 
Look them in the eye, set them down, pull them to the side, but let them know how you feel about them, how you appreciate their support, how you appreciate the way that they do certain things, how you appreciate maybe that they always have things ready for you to go, or that they're always there cheering you on, or that they're always the person who tells you when you're full of shit. (laughs) And you appreciate that because nobody else will. Everybody else is blowing smoke up your butt, you know? Tell that person who doesn't do that on a regular basis how much you appreciate them. And let someone know that you love them and you care about them today. Let a parent know. If you're a parent, and particularly this is for, for male parents you know, or, or men, let somebody know you care or you appreciate them or your son or your daughter. Give them a hug. Give them a kiss. Let them know that you appreciate them. Let them hear it come out of your mouth. Men, I want you to do this in particular because men seem to have a hard time expressing their emotions. I mean, you've gotten better at it, I'll say, but you've had a hard time doing it. There is nothing more manly than a man telling his child, his son, his sibling, his parent, how he feels about them and letting them know that, looking them square in the eye and telling them that. Telling them on the telephone if you want. Um, But at some point, look them dead in the eye and let them know that so that they hear you and they understand that you mean it. It's particularly important for men because you have such high egos and uh, that you need to hear it. You really need to hear it. And let your daughters know how you feel about them. Be an example to the world. Be an example to your children men and women around the world. But my wish for you today is to be happy and to laugh and to have a great day. And, you know, on a personal note, uh, I am doing a little better, but what we thought I had uh, in terms of my health was the peripheral neuropathy. Well, they've determined that's not what it is. But now we don't know what I've got here. What's going on with me? So I'm in a fight with my body right now, and I may have to take a break uh, from radio to focus on my health. Uh, But until we do that, uh, I'm here with you. And today is Black History Month. This is Black History Month, the month of February. Okay. And why is a month? Why only a month? I always ask that question, you know, even even when I thought about my birthday. And we call it birthday because it's the one day that you were born. But, you know, people celebrate it, you know, just on that day. I believe you should celebrate it maybe even the whole month. Uh, I know I do know people. I do have a few friends who try to celebrate it the entire year, but that doesn't work. But at least. I try to celebrate mine the entire month. Now, I was born in the month of March. And so for me, the month of March is mine. And I do try to celebrate it and acknowledge it the entire uh, month of March. So I don't know if you do, but, um, but think about that. But anyway, in terms of Black History Month, you know, when we started out, um, it, was, it was not even a month. You know, years ago when it when it all started, and and when you start thinking about it, why do we even need a Black History Month? Why do we even need a, a Latino Month, a Hispanic uh, Latino celebration? Why do we need a Native American Month? Why do we need those 
those things? Why are we celebrating those cultures? Why do we need to designate a specific time in which to do that? Well, for many of you, the, the, it may be obvious why you need it. But for, for those of you who were born after the 70s, maybe you need to you know, look at your history a little bit and to better understand what was going on in the United States. You know, there was, uh, and we talk about this, and I know you're probably tired of hearing it, but I don't care. I'm going to tell you again. Okay. In the United States, originally, a long time ago, um, but maybe some, for some it doesn't feel that long ago, there was a lot of racism going on. And so people of color uh, were not celebrated. People of color were not appreciated. Uh, People of color were not seen as equal. People of color were seen as chattel property. So they weren't given the same consideration as as others. In fact, sometimes the chattel property meant more to the people than the people of color did. And they were treated that way. And so in terms of uh, the ruling class or the ruling body, it was primarily white men. Not white women. But white men, uh, white men um, deemed themselves as the protector, the keeper, the king of all things, if you will. And consequently, they were the heads of businesses. Uh, they were the ones who had the right to vote. They made the decisions. They made the money. Even if you were a woman and you made money, your money was not yours. Your money was your husband's. And if you wanted to spend your money, you had to get your husband's permission, which um, is strange to me in a, in a way that I can't quite explain. But as I work with people from other countries... Uh, I do notice that some of that um, thinking is still has not quite evolved uh, around the world. And I think of it in terms of some of the um, Latin countries um, that um, are still in that belief where the man is the household and he makes all the decisions and women, many of the women who are married don't. Uh, spend the money without that question, questioning their husbands in terms of doing it. But anyway, so you had all of this going on. Uh, if, you, if you were a woman, it was your husband's business. You couldn't even buy a house. You couldn't even buy property in your name if you were a woman because it wasn't your property. Men only had those rights. And so if you weren't a white woman, uh, if you, you couldn't do really pretty much anything without the permission of the white males. Uh, so um, because of that and because of as people were being educated and as you were reading or um, uh, being educated in schools, uh, the history of African-Americans or the history of people of color uh, was not being taught. It was being primarily taught from a white perspective. And so people didn't know about things that happened um, and the contributions that were made by African-Americans in terms of building the country or um, the contributions that they made in terms of inventions, contributions that they made in terms of medicine. Those things were not being taught um, 
in schools. You couldn't even find them or you rarely would find them in, in books. Um, so because of that um, and other things in terms of suppression uh, and intimidation and discrimination, um, there was a strong movement uh, that we must have something that acknowledges and celebrates the journey and of uh, people of color, of African Americans. Uh, and so someone did something about that. And we'll talk about who that was when we come back from the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red's. Says, Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into from the inside out to reach carla walker or her guest today call us at 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 you may also send an email to carla walker from the inside out at gmail.com now back to the show hey welcome back so the title of the show today is the fight to vote the fight to vote, because it's been a fight. You know, you, you think about the U.S. Uh, uh, Constitution, uh, that great uh, paper, that great law that was um, written by um, by men and that we live by, that everything we do um, um, in terms of, of our way of life, our government, our laws, our build around. Um, well, that didn't originally take into account the right to vote for women or for people of color or African Americans. As I said to you in the previous segment, you know, what one time, particularly African Americans. Now, I'll talk about African Americans a lot in this context in the United States because for a long time they were the predominant uh, minority. Uh, in in the United States. Now that has shifted because we have now um, uh, more Hispanic or Latina um, uh, in the United States. But uh, when we began, it was more African Americans or black people or uh, as I go through the names, the colored people or Negroes um, 
so, um, and so because of because of that, um, and the oppression that was happening, because uh, the the contributions that African Americans made and other people of color made were not being taught or introduced or discussed, or sometimes even acknowledged. Uh, in schools, in our societies, and uh, by whites in general, um, there was a movement that went on that um, uh, really fought very hardly to um, get that information out to people. And, and there was a gentleman there by the name of Carter G. Woodson. Carter G. Woodson. It's an important person uh, in African American history uh, because he was an African American writer, he was a historian, and he was known as the father of black history. Okay. Um, he was the second African American to receive a doctorate from Harvard. Now, of course, I know all of you know that uh, W.E.B. Du Bois was uh, the first to receive his uh, doctorate at Harvard. Carter G. Woodson was the second African-American to do that. And he had an illustrious career. Uh, and one of the things that he did, which is important, uh, which is very important, is that he lobbied government um, like crazy. Uh, to establish the Black History Month. Now, first of all, um, he was or is, he was a American citizen. He was born in New Canton, Virginia, in uh, December of 1875. So, think about the time or the period in which uh, Dr. Woodson was born and what he's seen. He had uh, seven siblings. Um, his father was, uh, or he worked there rather as a, a sharecropper and a miner. Um, so, but education, as you know, in the black community in particular, is very important. It's one, of, and this is one of the reasons education is so important because uh, African Americans had to be better than their white counterparts four or five, six times better, even to get a job as a janitor. I mean, it is not, um, it does not escape me that um, uh, people who, who had uh, PhDs, uh, who um, could have been neuroscientists, uh, often even doctors who could not get a job just because of the color of their skin. So... Education has always been important in, in the black community. And I have to give a, a salute to Berea uh, College in Kentucky, which is one of the few colleges at that during that time period that blacks could go to uh, to get a degree. Now, they built, um, they were uh, uh, back in, in that era, back in that time period as we're moving forward, there was something called teaching colleges, and those were or landmark colleges, land-grant colleges, which is what uh, most blacks could attend. But there weren't that many uh, land-grant colleges. But, but 
Ashley Berea was one of the Berea College in Kentucky, was one of the first colleges, not the first that accepted blacks into their into their programs. Uh, and Carter G. Woodson happened to attend uh, Berea. And then he began um, uh, traveling and he worked for the U.S. government as an education superintendent in the Philippines. Um, he also did his studies uh, as he was uh, receiving his bachelor's and master's degrees from the University of Chicago. Um, as I said, he got his Harvard uh, University doctorate uh, in 1912. And so, educacy. This is an educated man. This is uh, this is a man who was dedicated in making himself the best he possibly could, even under dire just circumstances in which he lived. Uh, and in doing that. Uh, he wrote books. Uh, if you've never read uh, any of his books, look up The Miseducation of the Negro. Uh, that was written in 1933. And that is one of those books that is a must-read if you want to know more about uh, our history, about uh, the Western indoctrination system and the African-American in terms of self-empowerment. Read The Miseducation of the Negro. It's required reading at uh, a number of universities as well. But as he was realizing you know, that the, our history was not really being told, you know, he, did, he was able to start or get started uh, a Black History Week. Uh, but it wasn't until February 26th, uh, well, February 26th, uh, of 1926, rather, is when the Black uh, National, uh, what they call Negro History Week, uh, was started. But as it went on, it got more popular, and I believe people did begin to see the value of having um, the story told, or our story told. Uh, we did see um, the Black History Week, which, um, and I can tell you, uh, people were insulted that it was, first they were very glad it was a week, but then as they got, began thinking about it, uh, people were actually insulted that it was only a week. Um, and uh, that it became Black History Month in 1976. Now think about that. It was national, it was a his National Negro History Week in 1926, it took 50 years for it to become Black History Month in 1976. And Dr. Winston chose February because of its observance of on the 12th of Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And the 14th was the accepted birthday of Frederick Douglass. And so that's why he chose uh, the month of February was chosen. Uh, as Black History Month, uh, and that is the man who is behind it and why he is called the father of uh, black history. So, <clears throat> learn about, research it. He actually has a, uh, there isn't actually a, uh, Dr. Carter G. Woodson African American Museum um, that, um, 
uh, you can uh, go visit. And um, uh, whose mission is to preserve, present, and interpret African-American history and to gauge in a broad, diverse audience through the activities and to promote the understanding among various groups that comprise the St. Petersburg community. So, yes, it is in St. Petersburg, Florida, uh, to respect, value, diversity, and foster equal rights and social justice. So come visit uh, uh, Carter G. Woodson's, Dr. Carter G. Woodson's African American uh, Museum uh, and learn a little bit more about the history and this great man, um, which we are celebrating uh, his efforts through uh, Black History Month. So a little known fact you didn't know. Uh, hope that's giving you some enlightenment today. But again, we're talking about the fight to vote. And it has always been a fight. And so since black people, first of all, did not start out uh, having any rights uh, unless uh, their um, uh, owner, if you will. Yes, and and, uh, we lived in a time where people owned people. Uh, unless their owner gave them that right. Uh, so when did we get finally get the right to vote? Uh, well, that didn't happen till the 15th Amendment. And the 15th Amendment only granted black men the right to vote under the law. Uh, so women still did not have the right to vote. They gave it to black men. Uh, because at that time only white men could vote so they said oh we'll extend a hand and uh, and if we're going to allow them to vote we'll allow black men to do it but just like anything else it took a long time it took a, a fight to for black Americans to gain full rights of citizenship um, and it took just that same fight to gain full rights of voting um, uh, to quote, I want to quote Frederick Douglass, who says, slavery is not abolished until the black man has the ballot. Uh, so he very much um, wanted to make sure that not only was slavery to be abolished, but that in doing so, uh, you were also given the right to uh, vote at the ballot box to make decisions on how your country was being raised, uh, ruled, and who was ruling it, and the kind of laws that were being impacted. And that was back in 1865. Now think about how long that was, how long ago that was, uh, as we look at we're in year 2020. Uh, and then what's until 1865 where we're still talking about uh, having the right to vote. Okay. We'll talk more about that and um, what made it so difficult or why it was such a struggle. We're going to talk about Reconstruction and what was the Black Code Okay, when we come back from break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into from the inside out to reach carla walker or her guest today call us at 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 you may also send an email to carla walker from the inside out at gmail.com now back to the show Hey, we're back. Yeah, so we're talking about, or we're moving to reconstructing. So we're still in 1865, uh, and this was after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in April of that year. Um, And he was trying to, uh, or getting ready to, I should say, reconstruct the union that fell to, um, uh, as part of uh, his signing, (coughs) excuse me, Uh, legislation of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution and once that passed. Uh, But after he died, that became the job of Andrew Johnson. And he was a Tennessee-born unionist. Okay. So, but he did believe strongly in states' rights and um, in his policy, he did lean more towards Southerners. Well, he was a Southerner, so um, um, you believe he did. So when he tried to enact or enact those reconstruction policies, um, he required the former uh, Confederate states to ratify the 13th Amendment and pledge loyalty to the Union. Um, but otherwise, granted, allowed them free reign to reestablishing their post-war governments. Uh, so... As a result of that, most of the southern states' uh, legislatures enacted very restrictive laws, and those were called black codes. And so though those black codes strictly restricted, um, uh, or governed, I should say, black citizens' behaviors and denied them what was suffrage and other rights, so the right to vote. Um, so even though you had the right to vote, the question was, how are you going to vote? And uh, if you can, if you could vote, if you could uh, get to the poll, if you could, um, uh, if you could um, uh, beat uh, your oppressor in terms of getting there, uh, then sure you could vote. But it was, it could be a life or death action in order for you to do so. And so. 
uh, the first time um, when, um, and really, I mean, history tells us that um, uh, at that time there was a quote unquote radical Republican, <laughs> Republicans in Congress who were outraged or mad that uh, the Black Codes went a long way toward reestablishing slavery. Uh, and I laugh at that because when I read that or I think about that or consider uh, looking at our Republican Republican state right now or our Republicans uh, in Congress right now, I almost feel like they would maybe fit better in um, in 1865 uh, or pri- pro, pa- post, uh, pre-1865 uh, because we are still today even with the passage of the 14th Amendment uh, and the 15th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, uh, which uh, uh, was approved in Congress in in 1866 and then ratified in 1868, granted citizenship to all persons born or naturalized in the United States, and that included former slaves and guaranteed guaranteed them equal protection of laws to all citizens. Uh, And then in 1870, they passed the last of of three reconstruction of what they called Reconstruction Amendments, which was the 15th Amendment. So think about this. It took three amendments, the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th Amendment. And the 15th Amendment stated that voting rights could not be denied or abridged by the U.S., the United States, or by any other state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So that's what the 15th Amendment uh, was about. Um, and and that, you know, was a large leap uh, from where uh, uh, African Americans were uh, allowed to, to vote. Um, but um, black blacks were intimidated. Uh, they were um, during this period, in terms of at the at the uh, ballot box, um, there were discriminatory practices uh, that were were done that that uh, were not uh, challenged. Um, uh, and even when they could challenge, because the overwhelming um, uh, thought, if you will, a feeling of of many of the southern states, and and not that not that you didn't have discrimination or suppression in the northern states, but it's a little different uh, at that time. In the southern states, it was quite blatant, uh, particularly in the southern area. And I say that living now in a southern state. Um, where you still see where there is still some uh, uh, suppression that goes on or intimidation that goes on uh, to dif- disenfranchise a majority of black voters. Uh, and that's, you know, that has happened in the decades following uh, Reconstruction. And, and so as a result of that, you had um, white dem- dominated state legislature. Because remember, um, and, and I just want you to think about this. During this period of time, um, the, what, what we call the Republican Party today 
was really the Democratic Party, and Democrats were really more acting like Republicans at that time. And sometime, uh, I forget when it, well, what time period it was, well, it was in the, still in the 1800s or early 1900s, the parties kind of switched. Um, but uh, we still had a white-dominated state legislature uh, who uh, really consolidated control and reestablished the black codes in the forms of what we call Jim Crow laws. And that was a system of segregation um, and remained in, in place in our country for almost 100 years. Um, so, so when we're talking about voting rights, it wasn't until the, the really till the 1950s and 60s where securing voting rights became the central focus of the civil rights movement. So we're talking 100 years of suppression, of intentional suppression, of intentional uh, discrimination against uh, African-American or blacks, just trying to vote, to live, not only trying to live and be a citizen of this great country, uh, trying to live and contribute to this great, and making contributions to the country and making a living and supporting their families, but not being allowed uh, or being discriminated against or being intimidated. And intimidation came in various forms through the police, through the Ku Klux Klan, through justice system, um, through... Uh, those uh, neighbors who strongly believed that they had no rights, um, mobs, uh, violence. Um, yeah, it took years, over a hundred years, and the focus of a civil rights movement before, um, before this. Uh, voting was really um, allowed uh, to take place. And so now we're talking about uh, the civil rights movement, uh, the Civil Rights Act, excuse me, of 1964. So think about that. I started back in, in 1700s, moved to the 1800s, and we're not talking about civil rights for the African-American or people of color until 1964, where you're giving full rights as a citizen of the country. Yes, you can pay your taxes. Yes, you have to pay taxes. Yes, you have to follow the laws. Uh, yes, you have to you know, feed your families and work, etc. But not being able to contribute, not being able to have a voice in the decisions or making of those laws, uh, it was a very hard fight uh, that um, uh, African Americans and people of color um, had to make in order to make this thing happen. Um, and Dr. Luther, Martin Luther King was part of that fight uh, when he came along. And a lot of the fight was taken to the South in particular because it was there in the Southern states uh, in particular in which it was so overt and the discrimination was the harshest, uh, uh, the most overt. And where the, I think the biggest challenges continually came from um, as, related to, as related to that. And so, 
And so why is that so important? You know, what what was it for us to to make the votes? Well, you're deciding on how you live or how a person lives or how a body exists. You know, you're talking about a full human. I mean, I don't need to remind you that at one point in our existence, we were only considered, African-Americans were only considered three-fifths of a human being. <laughs> you weren't even considered a full human being. So, yeah, don't you want to vote? <laughs> don't you want to have a voice in how you are perceived in the laws that are governing your existence and the laws that are are defining how and what you can do or can't do or say or can't say? Of course you do. And and when we talk about to, even today, and, and it just, you know, it's really uh, boggles the mind that in 2020, of all that we've learned, of everything that we've seen, of all the battles that continue to be fought, this thing around diversity, this thing around being able to vote, this thing around being treated equally as a human being, as your uh, from people of color as our white counterpart, is still a fight that people are urging. Why? What is it? And I, I have to wonder, you know, is there fear? What is the fear that if I allow people of color the same rights, the same respect, if I allow women that same equality, what's going to happen? <laughs> Something's going to happen to you? Think about it. Now, I don't disagree that things have gotten better. They have. But lately, it seems or sometimes it feels like we're slipping backwards. And you're seeing that suppression. And not only are we seeing the suppression, we're seeing people buy into the belief of the suppression. And we hear this term around, this term being tossed around called fake news. And when you're constantly lied to or told lie after lie after lie, you know, if you tell a lie long enough, people tend to believe it. Even when in the in their face tells them it's a lie. People will believe it. So, yeah, it's very important for us to understand the fight for the vote that continues to go on and why we need to get out and vote so we can make a difference. We'll come back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events 
to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. You are tuned into From the Inside Out. To reach Carla Walker or her guest today, call us at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Carla Walker from the inside out at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Hey, so we're, we're back talking about voting and the fight for the vote, which still continues to go on. Do you know there are some places where at some time, and it may have stopped uh, in some areas, but at one time you had to take a literary test if you were an African-American or a person of color, even to vote. Now, your white counterpart didn't have to do that. But if you were a person of color or, an, or if you were an African-American, you had to pass a literacy, literacy test. Or you had to pay a poll tax in order to vote. Or you had to do something that was outside the norm of everybody else. And this is part of the suppression. Suppression is not always in your face uh, violence. Suppression sometimes is I'm going to, you're only going to be able to vote certain hours. And those certain hours are hours that you as a African-American or a person of color, you can't get to the voting booths anyway. Or you have to have a driver's license or you have to have this or you have to have some particular kind of ID that you wouldn't necessarily have because you didn't have a car. Or you didn't have, you know, whatever it was that they needed because it wasn't something that you normally did. So some of those things are still going on, unfortunately. And even though we signed the Voting Rights Act into law, uh, the U.S. Senate by 77 and 19 vote on May 26, 1965. They have been trying to kill it ever since, over and over and over again. Why? What are we afraid of? What if I give people of color, what if everybody who is a, a citizen of the United States had the equal right an opportunity to vote. What might happen? No. Wow. Maybe we'd have more people of color within the legislature, which would impact our laws, which may impact our behaviors, which would impact our communities. For the better, not for the negative, but for the better. See, if only one person makes the decision on things and others' voices are not heard or recognized, 
then they can't be incorporated into the decision. They can't be incorporated into the law. Those things can't be taken into consideration if the same voice or the only voice you have is that one voice ignoring the cries of everybody else. At the time of the passage of the Voting Rights Act, there were six African-American members of the U.S. House of Representatives and no blacks in the U.S. Senate. But by 1971, there were 13 members of the House of Representatives and only one black member of the Senate. 1971 wasn't that long ago. That was a little less than 50 years ago. And with the Voters' Rights Act, you saw a rise in the turnout at the voting polls. So it does allow, give people, uh, empower people to help uh, be a part, a participating citizen in this country. And why this matters to me, I guess, so much is because I remember going, when I'm going to school, going to school as a high school student, it's, I blame it on my civics teacher. And I love civics. But if I have one power or one thing that I can do, I can vote. My one vote does matter. And I know I've heard people say my vote doesn't matter. I'm only one person. Well, you know how many people who are only one people gather together to create a mass of people? It does make a difference. It does make a a difference. A person can win or lose by one vote. And that vote could be yours. But why don't why do we why are we in the process right now or in a position right now where we're seeing people, and particularly people of color, African American people, who don't vote? You know, I I don't I don't particularly understand it. It doesn't make sense. I can't see any logic behind it uh, for me. And I'm going to quote um, Dr. Wilson, Dr. Carter G. Wilson, who says, "When you control a man's thinking." You do not have to worry about his actions. If I can control your thinking, if I can tell you or or make it appear as though your vote doesn't count, what you think doesn't matter, what you do doesn't matter, that I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. If I can control that, if I can put that seed in your mind, if I can plant or feed you the seed that you're not worthy that you don't really have the right to vote, that nothing you say matters, and you buy into that, then I don't have to worry about your vote. I don't have to worry about the laws I created. I don't have to worry about what I take away from you. I've controlled you. And I win. Don't let them win. I say vote. This is a right that I refuse to give up. This is a right I want you to refuse to give up. Your vote matters. You matter. You know. And I hear people say, oh, you know, I, I don't have time or maybe I can't get off from work. Well, that's legitimate. Then we've got to do something or get involved so you can be the ones who can have an impact on what time the polling stays open. 
call your legislatures who are in the in place and make a difference in terms of of how your polling places are run. Yeah. Maybe take off that day. Maybe this is a day you take a vacation day and you go to the poll. And yeah, okay, maybe you'll lose that $9 per hour in order to get it uh, that day. In the long run, in the short term, it may be painful. In the long run, it will be helpful. And even if even if the person you voted for loses, you will have made a difference. You will have stepped into your own power. Someone has not done the thinking for you. You have done the thinking. But your vote may be the one that pushes that candidate over. Your vote may be the one that makes that law happen. You know, even now, felons in like it's eight states, can vote. You know, we talk about putting people in jail. We put people in jail, they come out, and then we don't give them their rights. Well, this is one right, at least in eight states, where they can vote. They can make a difference. And if you're telling me, and I hear this all, if you're telling me that the prison system is filled with people of color, particularly black people of color, then when they come out, don't you want them voting to change the system? Don't you want them doing that? Don't you want your children to exercise their right as a full and equal citizen of this country? So why wouldn't you vote? Why sit home on your butts and watch soap operas or watch love and hip hop, watch the reality shows that don't mean crap? Why do that? Take a few hours out of your day. Go to the polling place. Hell, get a car, get a cab, get a Uber, share the cost. Walk to the polling place if you have to, but exercise your right as a citizen of this country. It is the one thing you can control is you and what you do. Why you can't control the total vote, why you can't control solely um, what's going to happen, the outcome, you can control your involvement in it. Because for my part, if you didn't vote, you have nothing to complain about. You should just be quiet. If you did not exercise your right, if you did not do everything that you could to ensure that your voice was heard, then you have no voice and therefore you should shut the hell up. All right? Vote is important. Particularly this Black History Month, we got caucuses going on. Vote. Get out and vote and get somebody else out to vote. Great talking to you today. I hope to see you at the polls. Have a wonderful day. Have a blessed day. This is Carla. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to From the Inside Out. 
Be sure to join your host, Cara D. Walker, for another episode of the program next Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have the best week. Oh,